And now we turn to God's word, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Um, This is one of the great passages of the Bible for what we are to be. It's not an easy one, as you're going to see. So as we're looking at it, I want you to know that when Paul talks about those who are called the circumcision, he is talking about Jewish people in his day. And when he is talking about those who are pejoratively called the uncircumcision, he's talking about anybody who's not Jewish, just so that you know what's going on here, because he has a pretty powerful message. And I pray that as complex as it is, that we'll hear it simply and that God will use it among us. Let us stand because we are going to be hearing our father's word. We'll start with verse 10. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came And preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. This whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives By his spirit. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We are coming today to a text that has been absolutely life directing for your pastor. It's very personal for me. And you'll probably see that as I try to be objective, but sometimes cannot. It's been life directing. And and I'll tell you when it began. I think it started in 1983. I must have been, what do you think, six, seven years old? (laughs) I was working on my doctoral dissertation (laughs) 
Maybe I was a year or two older. I was sitting at a library at the time, Tyndale House Library in Cambridge. And just before I began doing my research for my dissertation, I was having my morning devotions. And uh, as I was having my devotions, though I'd already been a believer for a long time, I began to see the mission of God in this world in a way I'd never seen it before. I mean, a part of it I already knew. That what God is doing in this world is what I've been talking about. It's the message of the book of Ephesians. That our Father had an eternal plan before the creation of the world. uh, To draw to himself a people, a family. Adopt into his family people who don't deserve to be there. Not a one of us. Each one needs mercy. Each one had fallen short of, of God's glory. But God loves us anyway. And had found a way to forgive our sins uh, through, through, through Christ. To bring us into one family where we share together that we've placed our faith in Christ. We've given our lives to Him. God has then given us His Spirit to knit us together. And that together, as we learn to worship, we bring glory and praise to his name. And that God's not going to be done until in this family there will be people, Revelation chapter 7, from every language group, you know, every nation, every skin color, everyone brought together into one family in Christ, the Revelation 7 church, and each one in that family having been remade to be complete in Christ. What I began to see is the centerpiece of God fulfilling that work are local churches like the Lake Avenue Church. I think I used to say, well, of course, God is going to bring a family. He'll have one out here in Ethiopia and he'll have some out here in China and he'll have some out here in these different places. But the fact that the local church is actually to reflect what his family is to the communities in which he has places, I hadn't seen it before. I remember at that time just beginning to pray, thinking, Father... I sense that you've called me to be involved in one of these churches, I think even to pastor one of these churches. Because before, I'd been planning to be a teacher, probably in a mission school somewhere. But I thought if God would give me the opportunity uh, to be a pastor in a church, it would be the highest calling. And since that time, I have followed it. It's really what you know has brought me back to this place. The text that I was reading this, that day was this one. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Life-changing text for me. Now, you may say as you come, well, that's good enough for you. You're a, you're a pastor. What on earth does this have to say to the rest of us? Well, I think it has everything to say to the rest of us. Because the reality is this. What God has planted in this world, not only to reflect his glory to, to the rest of the world, to the universe. What God has placed this church in this world is to be the place, the central place, where you and I grow, are nurtured are challenged, sometimes held accountable. The place through which the nourishment comes where God does his work in us to become the kind of people that he would have you and me to be. Do you think that's true, that local churches with all of our imperfections planted in in places like 393 North Lake Avenue are places that God uses to do his work in the world and in our lives? I, I believe that from the depths of my being. That's why I'm here this morning and why I pray that you are here as well. But do you know that many, many people don't think that's even a possibility? That's why I've called the message today a minority position. (laughs) The importance of a church, the central importance of a church like the Lake Avenue Church. Why do I say it's a minority position? I'll tell you, it's not because there is no spiritual hunger in our world, even here in Southern California. What I've seen, even in my year of living here, is perhaps more spiritual 
hunger than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, people are ready to talk about immaterial things, eternal things, to talk about even, even the soul and what that might be. Is there any part of me that lives beyond the grave? People are willing to talk about that. It's just that they can't imagine that, that this thing that they think of as the institutionalized church is actually the place that they can find out about these eternal spiritual things. And it's not just true of a secular world. I'm finding out this negativity about what is often called the, the traditional institutionalized church is even found among those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Do you know that? Um, if, you, if you don't, there's a book that is put out by a man named George Barna back a number of years ago. It's called Revolution. I just wanted to put a bit of it together. What George Barna, who's a researcher, began to think that he was seeing was a new trend among younger adults. He, he attempted to, to, to show that there's a strong trend among younger people who are seeking to be spiritual, even to, even to be Christians, but, but said, no, that cannot happen in the church so that they are withdrawing from the church for a more privatized religion. And often, instead of meeting as you and I are meeting here today, if they meet with others at all, they meet in their homes and in smaller groups with a much more homogeneous group, much more with people that they, uh, they respect, they can relate to, and that they, they like, rather than a whole bunch of people like us that they may not like. Um, and in fact, I just put one part of the book so that you can see it. In fact, Barna writes, there is no verse in Scripture that links the concept of worshiping God and a local church meeting, he said. The Bible does not tell us that we must be actively associated with a local church. It, it simply tells us that we must worship God regularly and purely in spirit and truth. So the new revolutionaries, that's what he's calling this group that wants to be spiritual but withdraw from the church. The new revolutionaries are willing to leave the local church and seek their spiritual feeding and experiences elsewhere. While there is a commitment to God, there is no loyalty to the local church. In essence... It is a much more privatized spirituality. Now, now, this movement, I think, was rightly called God Decentralized. I think it's a good, good title for that. The, the notion that people say we, we want to pursue God on our own and still be religious people and not have to be associated with a bunch like has gathered here today. Well, I don't know if you know, since this research was done, it hasn't quite taken root the way that he thought it might. And I'm going to show you why. Because there's not just a single passage that talks about the importance of a gathering like this. I think it penetrates the entire New Testament. That in fact, it's through connection with people that you otherwise may never want to be with. That the salom of God, the peace of God is experienced. And you're also able to share it with others. And we're also able to show it to the world. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, I'll tell you, is perhaps the central text... That, that is going to tell us what, what the church is in the eyes of God. And I'll tell you what the church should be if we're going to become the kind of church that God would have us to be right here in Southern California. And I think the thing I want to show us is the more deeply we are committed to a church family like this. And the more our church family becomes what God says we must be. First of all, the greater impact we're going to have in the community. And second the more your own walk with God will be real and the peace of God will be experienced. Because why? Ephesians 2.10 It is this church that is God's masterpiece. Do you remember that last week? We are the work of art 
that God is doing in this world. We are His work. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to live the way He made us to live. And so what God is doing is He is building a global family and into locations like this one, He is planting parts of that family that reflect what He is like, His glory to the world. Now, as we think about this masterpiece, first question I want to ask. If that's what God is doing, What did God have to do to begin this masterpiece? Do you see chapter 2, verse 11? It begins with that word, therefore. You know the joke. In the Bible, when you read therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. What's going on here is that this is going to now summarize. He's going to apply. He's going to preach. (laughs) He has been teaching. He has been teaching about what the church is. None of us deserve to be there. Every one of us dead in our sins. Everyone traps for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Everyone in trouble, not ready to stand before God. But God has done something. He has sent His one and only Son so that all, all who are in Christ are declared forgiven of sins and brought into the family of God. It is by grace that we've been rescued <laughs> through faith in Christ. But that, even that's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, in case one of us might want to boast. It's God's work. It is God's work. That's what God has been doing. Therefore, therefore. Now he's going to tell them what this should look like in their everyday life, and particularly in the churches there in Ephesus. And he talks about the fact that if we're going to be having what chapter 1 calls a family, a family where we're adopted into it, that very notion of family demands that we understand relationships, right? You know the story, God gives us our families, thanks God, we can choose our own friends. You know, I'll tell you, the same thing's true of the church. He's going to say, God gives us our family. <laughs> and so we've got to figure out what this family is. Now, the problem in God starting this masterpiece of a family in this world is that there were broken relationships. What am I talking about? First broken relationship was between us and God. Uh, And the way that I think I put it here is sinful people had to be reconciled to, made right with a holy God. This ongoing message that God loves people. Why is it that people don't know God then? It's because God is holy and we are not. God is perfect and we are not. So we have a problem. And who has a problem? All people have a problem. He just dealt with that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Every one of us dead in our transgressions and sins. But... There in those churches that he was writing this letter to, there were two groups of people. And he wants them both to know that they had to be made right with God. Who were those two groups? They had the problem of the Jew and the Gentile. Now, now the, the Jewish person, they call themselves the circumcised. I think they were perfectly ready to say, yes, those Gentiles, they were dead people. I mean, those, those people, they were, yes, everything you said, Paul about them being enslaved and trapped and, you know, just meeting, needing mercy. That's all true of them. And Paul begins by saying, yes, it was true. Remember, verse 12, he said to what constitutes, I'm guessing, most of us here this morning at the uh, Lake Avenue Church. Remember that you who were not Jewish people, there was a time when you were separate from Christ. You didn't know Jesus. Do any of you remember that time? And for them, he said, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, the people through whom God was going to send his Messiah. You didn't have the promises. You didn't have the covenants. You didn't even have the word of God. 
So even if you would want to live life the way God created it to be lived, you didn't know how. And the way he would just sum it up was, let's just acknowledge it. Verse 12 at the end. You were without hope and without God in the world. All right, so he started, uh, he started with uh, uh, the Gentiles, uh, most of us. And he says, just know this. Remember, remember when you gather. There was a time when you didn't have any hope. You didn't know God. You were without hope and without God, but God loved you anyway. So that this great phrase happens in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you have been brought near. It was costly. It was costly what God had to do to bring us to him. The sinless one had to come and take our place and bear the punishment we needed for our sins. It happened through the blood of Christ. Do you see it? For he himself has become our peace. So Gentiles, yes, 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 acknowledge it in humility. You had to be made right with God. Are we ready to acknowledge it so that we can just say thank you, Lord? But what, what, what about the, the Jewish person? Ah, they, they had the law. Uh, they were in God's people. And so you come to this very difficult section. I just want you to know, I know this part is complex. And yet, uh, we'll have to come back and I'll have hours to talk with you about it. In verse 15, Jesus had to come and in his flesh, abolish the law with its commandments and regulations. What he's saying there is this. Jewish people, you did have God's word. When we studied the Ten Commandments as a family, they had them. They knew what God expected of them. They knew also this, that if only they would keep those commandments perfectly, they would live the way that God made them to live. But you know what the problem was, don't you? They couldn't keep them. They could get up every morning and say, okay, let's see. This is how God would have me to live. But that very day they would fail so that they too were in trouble they too are among those who uh, were dead in their transgressions and sins and enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil and in trouble. So what did God do for the Jewish person? I love verses 17 and 18. He came and preached peace. We can be made right with God. Peace with God. Shalom. That word peace, shalom in Hebrew. It's, um, it, it, it's life that's the way God wants us to live. Well-being. He preached peace to you who were far away and the opportunity for peace to those who are near. For through Jesus, we both have access to God through one spirit. So the first problem in the family was we didn't know the father and God's dealt with us through faith in Jesus. Whoever we are can be brought into right relationship with God and know him not only as a God who's alive, but as our personal father. Hallelujah. Okay. But there was another problem in building this family, right? And now Paul is going to start pounding at home. What was the other part? Well, the way I put it is hostile people had to be reconciled to one another. He's going to build a family in this world. And it wasn't just single children in relationship with their father. He was going to build a whole family in this world. And there were people who were hostile toward one another. Look again, verse 14. He uses that word hostility twice. He himself, Jesus, is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed a barrier, a dividing wall of hostility. And then in verse 16, on the cross, Jesus put to death their hostility. Now, what is he talking about? Now, if you would go back to the first century, I know those of you who hate history, this is still worth listening to. So don't, don't tune out right now. 
in the first century temple, it was sometimes called Herod's temple, there was a part that was called uh, the, the uh, court of the Gentiles. In the temple, that's the only place the Gentiles could go. And there had been a wall erected to keep the Gentiles out of the rest of the temple because they're not supposed to go there. And on that wall, which is what Jesus is calling the wall of hostility, on the wall there was an inscription placed, both in Greek and in Latin. It's called the Thanatos, death inscription. I see you're already reading it up there, so I'll read it to you. This is what it says. You can see it at the Rockefeller Museum in Jerusalem, in case you ever go there. But this is what it says. In both languages, so that nobody would miss it. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone, any foreigner who is caught doing so will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. All right. This, this hostility uh, that made them feel that the Gentiles shouldn't be in there. It, it came out in so many ways. There was one rabbi who even taught that the only reason that God even created Gentiles was that he needed someone to provide fuel for hell. So you talk about hostility. And let me tell you, it wasn't just a one-way hostility. You know, anti-Semitism has filled our world, continuing into our, own, into our own world. And it was very much vibrant and alive in the first century world as well. So this, this hostility went both ways. All of this is to say that if God is going to paint this masterpiece of drawing together a people of every tribe and language and nation, one of the hardest parts is going to be getting us together. Because there were people there that Paul was writing to who didn't want to be in a family together. They hated one another. And so they were perfectly willing to be made right with God through faith in Jesus. As long as we can have a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church over here. And what does Paul say? I'll tell you in one of the most in-your-face passages in the Bible. He says, that's not the Christian faith. That's not what God's family is. It's not our family, it's his. He's the one who's done that. He's told that from beginning to end. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, just look at verse 14. See, I, I get too emotional about this, don't I? I'm going to be objective again. Verse Jesus himself, and it's just as emphatic in the original language. He is our peace. He is the one who destroyed that hostility. And if you miss it, verse 15. Jesus' purpose his purpose for coming and giving his life was to create in himself one new, and my version says man, one new race, one new humanity out of these two. Thus making peace, peace between us and God and peace between, among us as, as brothers and sisters. And verse 16, in case we missed it, both Jew and Gentile are reconciled to God through the cross by which he put to death that awful hostility that separated people. See, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We may not have that same Jew-Gentile hostility, but I keep wondering, do we, still, do we still have hostilities? So that people would think, oh, yeah, I want to know God, and then maybe just worship with a few people just like myself. And then he says, but wait a minute, that's not my family. And we say, well, I don't want to be with them in the family. And then we hear his words, but you can't say you love the Father if you don't love his brothers. If you, if you say that, you, 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 you fool yourselves. 
And I'll tell you, this matter permeates the New Testament. They couldn't imagine, I'm sure the world watching it, couldn't imagine one family that had both Jew and Gentile in it. Start reading the New Testament with that in mind, and you'll see it all through the New Testament. In fact, one of the places I want to show it to you is Romans 15, 5-7. I picked this one out because this is the verse or the passage that Chris and I used in our wedding. And I think it had a lot to say about a husband and wife becoming one, but it was really talking about the Jew-Gentile problem. <laughs> Look at what he says. He's just longing for this. May the God who gives endurance... Boy, we need that sometimes to love one another, don't we? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Why? So that with one heart and one mouth, you who may not want to be together, so that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you pounce at home, accept one another then. Just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, what he's saying is that when we come to Christ and we we bask in the forgiveness of sins, we no longer have an option of saying, I want to be in this person's family and not that one. It really is true. God gives us our family and here it is. Here it is. The only thing that would keep us from not wanting to be in a family with somebody else is what? pride, thinking that we're better than that person, not being willing to give up something for that other person. Isn't that the only thing that will do it? Hasn't Paul already been dealing with that? You remember we were dead. Us being in the family is a gift from God. No boasting, no boasting, no boasting. And I'll tell you, when we begin to see this, what God does a work in our hearts, chapter 1, verse 15 of Ephesians, we'll begin to love all God's people. And I'll tell you, when when this begins to happen in a church family like ours, uh, this world will look and say, I can't believe those people are worshiping there together and singing together and serving in the community together, and they will know what God is like. I'll tell you what God had to do to, to start this masterpiece is he had to make some relationships right. Us with God and us with one another. Which takes me second, and I'll just be very brief here. So what is this church? This one as well as this global church. What what on earth is this masterpiece of God? And that's what this great text, verses 19 through 22, is all about. It begins with consequently. Now let's think about what we are as a church family. Praise God, we are no longer foreigners and aliens. This alienation and loneliness is one of the hardest things to wrestle with. People are looking for a place of belonging that's going to last. God has dealt with that. You're no longer that. What are we then? One, the church is a new citizenship. Verse 19. You are fellow citizens together with God's people. What is he talking about here? That God is forming, he's thinking about this now not as a family so much, but as a nation. And as what he's saying is that when we become Christians, we have an allegiance to a king who is over all kings. And I, I'm supposing that if he spoke to us now, he'd say a president who's above anyone who might be, be the president. So that, yes, in one sense, we still have a, a responsibility to the nation that we're in. And we're going to be good citizens. Romans chapter 13. But, but we do have an ultimate priority. One who is above any national uh, uh, responsibility or loyalty. 
What does that mean practically? As you look at me as a pastor, I'm a West Virginian by birth and upbringing, but that's not my ultimate identity, is it? And the same thing can be said in so many ways. Many of us here are, are North Americans, origin or, or, or Africa or, or Asia, but we're not primarily those things anymore. Uh, when you look at your pastor, you, you see yeah, that guy looks like a Caucasian, but I'm not primarily that. I am that. But there's been something that transcends all of that. And that is I'm now a citizen in God's nation. And that is going to transcend all other loyalties. It's what knits us together. It means we have that diversity of identity. Yes, but something above it that unifies all of us. Again, it doesn't obliterate the fact that we have these distinctive parts. That There's that diversity, but there is a, a unity, a oneness. We are God's nation. Or second, he says, we're going to make this more intense. If you missed that one, he says, verse 19b, we are members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. So we are God's family. Does that mean that I'm no longer the, the, the son of my father and mother? Well, of course not. But it does mean this. I have a loyalty to my heavenly father that even goes beyond that loyalty. God's household. God's family. And I'll just tell you, as one who's experienced this, and those of you, I'll look and see if anybody nods with me. One of the most beautiful things is when I have this sort of dual relationship to my parents. They are my biological father and mother, and I honor them because the Bible tells me to. But they are also my brother and sister in Christ. It's, it's mind-boggling, but it's true, isn't it? And that's what he's saying. Yes, we still have these allegiances to our family, but there is a family that is a, a much greater loyalty. And God is the Father. Or, he says, if you miss this one, the church is the place where God lives. Look at the remarkable language in verse 22. In Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Does this mean that God doesn't live in any place other than the church? No, no, no. Uh, God is everywhere. Now, let's think about it this way. When the people of Israel were walking through the wilderness, the tabernacle was put there, and when you saw it, visibly, you knew that God was present. In the first century in their world, the temple was a visible place that people knew that Jehovah God was present. How do people in our world today know that God is? How will Southern California really know who God is, what He is like? You are God's dwelling place. As you and I come together and worship our one Father, together hear His Word, and live in love and unity, what we are going to declare to this community, to the world, to the universe, is that God is. And it's one of the, the calls for us to be that one unified family that reflects the unity of God. You see, God never intended for His people to go it alone. So He has planted in all these geographic locales uh, gatherings 
of his people where the hostility is down so that when the world sees people who once were hostile toward one another or mostly ignored one another, now loving one another, singing together and serving together, they will know that God is and they'll be drawn to him. That's that's what I began to see that morning at the library. I'll just show you this quickly. Look at verse 18. How is it that we reflect what God is like? You see that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned in verse 18. Through Jesus, we, all people, Jew and Gentile then, have access to the Father, so Jesus, by one Spirit. And the same kind of thing. This is theologically rich. Verse 22. In Jesus, you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God the Father lives by the Spirit. What is he getting at in in saying that? Let me tell you one of the ways that Christianity is different from any other religion. Uh, Many religions have many gods. Those gods often do battle with one another. There have been some major religions that have had one god, monotheism. But in that, God was always alone and living in solitude. You see, the Christian God has never been like that. One God, unity, always existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always living in relationship. And so if we're going to reflect to this world what God is like, We have to show the diversity of God's family living in unity. That's what he's saying here. And when people see it, their minds are going to be boggled by it. And they're going to know that God is. For together we are being built into a temple where God himself dwells. Now, I'm going to stop for the very last part of the, the text. And and what I've called why Lake Avenue Church is important, or actually I think Albert and Jeremy, as I talked with him, told me I should call it, I have a dream. (laughs) And it is true. That day in the library, as I saw this, I began dreaming of the kind of church family that I longed to be a part of. And if God would give me the opportunity to be in the role that he's given me here, the kind of church uh, that that I wanted to, to lead as a pastor... And I started writing down the things that I was dreaming about because I love this church. You know that, don't you? And one of the things I'm beginning to see, I'm seeing a little bit more of God's masterpiece happening among us. Are are any of you beginning to see that? I'm beginning to see God working more and more among us, and I'm very encouraged. But at the same time, I have to admit humbly, maybe it's because I'm here, that it's not perfect yet. We're, We're not perfect yet. And so we have some growing to do. So what am I dreaming of for us? Okay. One, I am dreaming of this church family being one that brings glory to God. And by that, I mean what I've been talking about, that the kind of place that when people see us, they see what God is like. That, that as Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, the time is going to come in this prophetic vision in the Old Testament when all the nations would gather and together people from these nations would declare the glory of God. Uh, that we would be one of those places here. And I do know that we declare what he is like largely through our love of one another that flows out of our love of God and our gratitude to God. Practically speaking, I think it's going to take a lot for us to, to become more and more that kind of place. Uh, we've got to be willing to, to cross over, sacrificially cross over boundaries at times. Welcoming people that might not always feel welcome. It means sometimes maybe a nine o'clock person is intentionally going to show up at Saturday night church. And you might say, well, that's not my favorite style of music. But as, as you worship together with people who are different, I think you'll find yourself growing. 
And your worship will become richer and deeper. Maybe even showing up at a warehouse once in a while. And maybe flip-flopping. Having the warehouse or Saturday night folks show up here at 9 o'clock and saying, Those are family members. I, I just think we're going to need to, to do that. Worshiping in new ways. Coming alongside of people in the community in new ways. Because we are longing to reflect the unity of God to this divided world. I, I dream of that. Do you ever... I dream, I dream of a church that in its very spirit and heart is humble and because of that always hospitable to others. Humble because we know we don't deserve to be in God's family. We're here by His grace. Hospitable because, uh, because we know that what we've received is available to all. I always worry about this. I know I, pastors aren't supposed to worry. Jesus tells me not to. But I always worry in this, this mega worship center how we're actually going to welcome all the new people with the multiple services. I think, does it mean that the pastor just has to become friendlier and friendlier? How, how do you do this? Uh, I think it happens as, as God creates among all of us the spirit of humility and hospitality. That, that all of us are looking for people we don't know and, and to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Do, do you ever dream of a church where that happens? I, I, I dream also of a church that makes a positive difference in the community where God has put us. That even if people say, I don't think I believe everything they do over there, but boy, it's good that they're here because our community is a better place because they're here. That's what I dream of. I dream, and I think that means that you and I have to be a people who just genuinely care for the people of our community. Even if they reject our morals and our values, we care for them. When we see them hurting, we'll reach out to them. Second century, an emperor was complaining about the growth of the church in the Roman Empire. And he was writing to a man. He said, do you know what they do? They're faithful to one another in their marriages. And they care for one another, and not only for their own people, but for ours as well. And because of that, people were coming in droves because they wanted to see the love that was being shown to them. I, I, I dream of our church more and more being a place that is humble because we've received God's grace. And hospitable enough to welcome even those very different from ourselves. So the the other part I wrote down is my dream. I actually dream of a church that looks like God's family. Do you you know I dream that? I've talked about that ad nauseum for over a year, haven't I? This family of God is made up of people of every tribe and language and nation. And I find Paul here praying, will I ever see it this side of heaven? We know we'll see it in heaven. Will will we see it this side? Are we always going to have Jewish church over here and Gentile church over here? I pray of a church where visibly in our worship and service, people will see the family of God. uh, The makeup of the family. uh, Diverse people living in unity. And the respect of God's family for one another. I dream of that. Anybody want to dream with me about that? Are you tired of hearing me talk about it? Oh, I pray not. And it's fine. I just pray and dream of a church in which each one of us and all of us together are growing in our love of our Father. And that our deepest longing is to obey Him. That we're going to open up this word and we'll keep seeing sometimes God calls us to a morality, to a way of life that doesn't come easy to us. And yet we simply say, because God has said it, he's my father, I trust him, what he means is good, I'm going going to live that way rather than my own. 
I pray that when you come into this place, you're going to be ready to offer your praise as we sing together. But then when, when your pastor opens the word, that you're going to want to hear a word from your father. God, not me, God. Um, and that the only thing you really care about is that your pastor is faithful to this word. Uh, it'll be so easy for me to preach. Uh, sometimes I can just be more, much more objective instead of jumping up and down and being all passionate. But it'll be so easy because if I'm faithful to this word, you are longing to hear a word from your father. I am praying that we individually and together will grow deeper and deeper in our love of our father. Because this is the church. I think Kathy, who gave her testimony, you'd agree with me that in those years away, the most vital thing of nourishment would have been a meaningful, deep relationship with God's people and a church that is growing more and more to be the church that God's word says that his family is. And I pray that as people come and visit, and I know we have some here this morning, and as people hear us singing and are shocked about the people who are singing together, And as people see us serving in the community, they will know that God is in this city. Because we are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. May it be so to his glory. I'd like to lead us in prayer. Father, my prayer indeed is that I've been faithful to your word and where I have been our Father. Use it to do your work in us. Father, for each one of us, open our eyes to see where we still have some of that hostility toward other people. Uh, Maybe because of skin color, maybe because of age. So many things, Father, divide us. You know that. And yet Christ gave his life to end that hostility on the cross. We see that. So that in Christ, it's gone. May we, Father, put that to the side. And where we still have that hostility, call us now to repentance and have mercy on us. Father, I also believe that there may be some here who've never entered into a relationship with you. They don't know you as their father. May they today know that this message is true. Be drawn to faith in Jesus and as much as they understand, even now, give their sins to you and hear you say, I'll cast it as far as the east is from the west and give their lives to you by trusting Jesus and allow you to begin to remake them. For some today, Father, May this be their day of rescue. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.